This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about what we hate about the fire movement. It sounds negative. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well. We also got some people to send in their, uh, I don't know if grievances is the right word, but basically pet peeves that people might have with the fire movement. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, why we believe the FIRE movement is a positive force that has helped many people achieve financial independence and early retirement, uh, but there are certain aspects that we just don't like. Yeah. And I think it comes with any like big movement. There's going to be some pros and cons and like the good comes with the bad and blah, blah, blah. And we'll you know talk personally about the things that we kind of have an issue with. And hopefully it'll be in like a positive light. So we'll try not to be too negative, but we are curious about any pet peeves that you have out there too. So feel free to shoot us an email if you have ideas about this or leave a comment on the YouTube video. And we're going to share our own experiences and insights to help you navigate the challenges and the opportunities within the FIRE journey and find the right balance between saving and spending to reach your financial goals. Cool. I'm going to share a story. I, I don't think this person listens, but yeah, there's some um, toxic might be too strong of a word, but some people who make suboptimal decisions. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, we're going to cover what we don't like so much about the fire movement and then head over into the mailbag. Uh, some of the questions, uh, the first one is from Kristen. She doesn't like the $40,000 uh, myth that we all can retire on on forty thousand dollars, and she's got some other issues, uh, like uh, about credit card bonuses, uh, about talking to teenagers about money, and end of life books where they espouse this wisdom about what they would have done different. Have you ever read one of those books, or do you know anything about them? I read one. I know there's a bunch like the Five Regrets of the Dying or some shit like that. I read Doc G's, which is kind of along that vein, but I think his is good. I don't think, I think Kristen would agree that his is valuable, but yeah, I'd be curious to hear what Kristen thinks. Hopefully she chimes in after she hears us talk. I usually see the clickbait headlines and then never watch the video or read the article. I just see like, oh, the five things. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what they are. There's no way to find (laughs) out. And then I like never read. It's always clickbait though. It's like, what your 80, what the 80 star looks like now. And it shows a picture of like, I don't know, the guy from uh, Pretty in Pink. And, I, then, and I, then they never show that person. I'm like clicking through 80 slides. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, interesting. It, I can tell you what they are. It's uh, it's work less, spend more times with friends. And actually, I don't know what the other three are, but I can guarantee you that those two would be at the top. Okay, so we'll we'll get the question from Kristen. We have Jolene and Darren. So they cite the lack of information available on how to unwind tactically and mentally 
from accumulation and shift into decumulation, especially for Gen Xers who are knee deep in deaccumulation. And finally, we'll have a question from Francis talking about the focus on spending as, quote, bad instead of learning how to spend well and thoughtfully with alignment with one's goals. So those are the the three questions we'll hit. Cool. Yeah. So one of uh, the most popular episodes that we've ever done was with our friend Pete, Mr. Money Mustache. And thanks, Pete, for doing the interview. It's actually doing really well on YouTube. So we talked then a lot about the co-working space, Mr. Money Mustache HQ. What's new there? What's been going on? Yeah, I'll back up a second. And uh, the HQ took a bit of a hit during COVID uh, for good reason. People that want to be around other humans and get sick. But now that I hesitate to say this, but COVID is mostly behind us, we've been having lots of events there. We just had a big meetup with Pete, which had uh, no formal outline, no formal talk or anything like that. It was just hanging out. And I found that's what people like best. Uh, we do have presentations there occasionally, but People like just the hangout time to talk to other people and commiserate, but uh, we are having an interesting one coming up, and this might be the first and last time this ever happens. We're having someone who will give a talk. This is Logan Lucky from, he developed Topia with Grant Sabatier, and he is going to play the bagpipe. So we're going to have a, a short bagpipe performance at the HQ, which, um, yeah, I'm not sure what he's going to play. Like whenever you think of bagpipes, you think of Amazing Grace or... I, I don't, what else do people, is there a happy bagpipe song? I, I suppose there is. There must be. Yeah, I'm not sure. And you, you said, you said something about a short bagpipe. What's a short bagpipe? Did I say short, ba uh, short bagpipe show? Yeah. Uh, uh, Doug, okay. I'm, I'm not sure where you're going. Or I, I think I am sure where you're short going bags. with that. But uh, they do come in all different sizes. I actually met uh, Logan at a Camp Fi in Florida and he played them there and he had like a miniature version of the bagpipes and he did play them there as well. But it'd be kind of funny if he went into like an Agata de Vida, which is like 27 minutes long. So <laughs> free bird, free yeah. bird on the bagpipes. Someone's done it. Must Do be. Have yeah. you ever seen that one guy on, on YouTube who was like famous for playing the ukulele? I think he did a Ted talk. He's like some maestro with the. Yeah. Is it the Hawaiian? Uh, Jake Shemoku something. I forget I, how to say his last name. I think so. And I think I mispronounced that wrong too. It's ukulele is the correct pronunciation. But. Yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. And we actually saw him in concert. It was oh. great. Yeah. Nice. Down in Boulder. Yeah. So I think Logan should be like that version, but with the bagpipes. Like you could play Free yeah. Bird or some other yeah. complex piece on the bagpipes. Like, something like that. Any Anything Leonard Skinner. <laughs> I'm with you. Southern Southern rock. It's, like a, it. it's a collision of culture, but I think it could work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been great going to the events. And yeah, it's cool that a lot of people come from all over. Sometimes there's people from out of town. And the best way for people to be aware of that is the meetup group, right? Yes, I will put a link to that. We have a meetup group. Uh, if you actually join the HQ and you're a member, you get first crack at it, but they always felt the capacity. We have 1,500 people in the meetup group, and we usually have capacity for like 40 people in the winter because the spot is not that big. So yeah, join the meetup group or join the HQ if you would like to be in some of or take part in some of these events. Um, Doug, I've been a little bit concerned about you. I thought about you because 
We talked about your fall, your hot tub incident, which we established was not due to drinking. You just passed out when you got out of the hot tub. You hit your head and you hit your teeth. And at the time you first mentioned it, you were worried that you might lose your teeth. But today they look awesome unless they're fake teeth. So are your teeth yeah. real or fake? They are real, but I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't uh, shown you my teeth, you know, just like bared my teeth out so you could see. But one of them is turning like purple and uh, black. and It doesn't look good. Can you see that? Oh, I can't see it. Oh, but it's kind of, oh, dog. Yeah, it's that, no good. Yeah. That can't be a good sign. So, no, it's not. That's not a good sign. So, I will have to get a root canal and some sort of either veneer or a cap or something like that. So, I don't know exactly when. I'm going to, you know, schedule it, figure out when's a good time for me and get it done. But in the short term, when you see me, I have like a fucking scar on my head. And then uh, one of my teeth is turning black. So otherwise, great. So I don't, I've never had a root canal. I've never had a major tooth issue, uh, knock on enamel. You get to keep your tooth. They're just going to, I think that's when they, uh, we don't need to get into yeah. the details. I know we have a lot of dentists in the audience who could probably be on and explain it, but you get to keep your tooth. They don't have to take the whole thing on and put like a fake one in there. Is that true? Correct. Yeah. They'll drill up there. I think they, it's, it's to help prevent infection. So my tooth is still alive. It's, it's fine. It's not dead. So I could just like roll with this, but it is unsightly. I'll put it that way. But yes, I keep my tooth. They'll um, clean it out. They take out the living parts and then you just have like the, you know, the shell of your tooth in there. I've had one root canal before. Ooh. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I don't, uh, I don't envy it. Uh, I don't envy that. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I don't encourage it. Uh, if you can, don't fall. <laughs> don't fall and pass out. But uh, I'm taking it in stride. I think, um, you know, maybe a few years ago it would have hit me harder. No, actually no pun intended with that. But now I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? It was a fucking freak accident kind of thing. And uh, got to move forward. So I think for a couple of days, I was hesitant to smile as much. But now, you know, I'm trying to show all my teeth all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucks, but you got to roll with it. So, and one quick note. So we have the three questions that came in and those are from our supporters out there. So we have a buy me a coffee page and basically it's a way to support help support the show. So the show does cost money. We did get some uh, pushback from uh, some of the kind people on YouTube. And you know how YouTube commenters are. And they were like, oh, there's these rich guys trying to get donations, but we're just trying to cover the cost of like producing the show. So we have a handful of supporters. We share extra content there and you get to contribute to the show a little bit more. And yeah, it's pretty cool. So I just posted something the other day. Um, you have an upcoming thing that you're going to post probably, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I've got some more content and Doug, uh, I just placed a big t-shirt order. So I know we owe some of our supporters t-shirts and those are supposed to come in in about uh, 10 days. So we'll have them for economy and uh, we'll finally be able to get some of our, our, I don't can't remember what level of support gets you a t-shirt, but we'll have t-shirts to hand out. Of course, neither of us happen to be wearing said t-shirt right now, but 
we'll uh, we'll hang some up in the background as soon as they show up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the white asparagus level. White asparagus level. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty high. That's only the serious supporters. But we do have some, which is cool. Yep. And you could do a one-time donation, which is cool. But even better, if you want to, you can have a membership and monthly you donate a amount as small as $5 a day. I mean, can you even buy a beer for that much? I don't think so. Not with inflation. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Do you remember, did you go to a, a college where like beers were cheap and stuff? I didn't. I went to a school that was in the city. So like cheap beers were like four bucks or something like that, even 20 years ago. So did you go to a place where it was like quarter beers or quarter oh, pitchers or whatever? Yeah, we had the place where there are penny pitchers. I think you had to pay a $10 cover. And actually, I never made it to that place during my college career. I didn't drink a lot during college, but we did have one where we could see live music and they had $2, 32-ounce beers. So I don't. it was some crap beer in this big-ass plastic cup. And have one of those and you're kind of set, like two bucks. Two yeah. bucks is big money in school. It is. Did you, did you ever, well, you didn't drink too much back then, but did you ever get like the 40-ouncers? The yeah, do you ever get a forty? Um, like the uh, like the malt liquor type of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I have. Unfortunately, that kind of thing never ends well. At that point, you're in it for the for the alcohol content and not savoring the beer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are cool. It's a good good buy. Buy in bulk. You know, it's less packaging too. It's for the earth. Yeah, I would say nice. Get the get the paper bag that you can compost and put put your uh, drink in. When, um, I won't go into the full long story, maybe for another day, but when I worked in Rocky Mountain National Park in Estes Park, there was a liquor store and we were all poor college students. We were making like five bucks an hour or something, right? So that is what we would go and we were able to get like a 40 for like, it's like a dollar 50 for the cheap King Cobra. And then the more expensive ones were like a dollar 97. So it's like, Two bucks, and that's your evening. You get a, a 40 ounce. Yeah, you're set. That's great. Boom. Yeah. So that's how I got where I am today. <laughs> Skipped a couple steps there. Okay. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. What's your number one issue with the fire movement as one of the figureheads of said movement? Figureheads. That's, uh, <laughs> that's putting it way too strong. But there's this debate about being frugal versus cheap. And Frugal is okay, cheap is not. And when I think of cheap, I'll, I'll tell you a story about one one local here who's who's pretty cheap. And uh, yeah, I'll call him Brad. That isn't his real name. But th- this guy, very successful engineer. His wife is a very successful engineer. They live in probably the best part of town, one of the most de- desirable streets. So uh, he texts me one day. He's like, yeah, I, I really need this this wire. Do you have any that you could give or sell to me? And this was in the middle of the pandemic. So I'm like, um, I don't think I have any of that. I can check around. It's too bad that Home Depot happens to be out of that because I just assumed at the same time I was doing my solar project and it was so hard to source stuff. And he goes, well, they're not actually out of it. It's just expensive. It's like, it's going to cost me like $16 and normally it would be 10 and I don't want to pay the full $16. I'm like, what the fuck? You're trying to get me to subsidize your wire purchase? I'm supposed to sell or give you mine at a discount because you don't want to pay the full thing? Meanwhile, you're you're probably making like 200000 bucks a year in income. So that's not a good move. You should not be like that. You shouldn't 
mistreat other people just to save a couple dollars. That is toxic behavior. And do you feel like that sort of cheap behavior permeates the community? I don't think so. I think most people are pretty good. Like most people might take their frugality a little bit too far, but they don't do it at the expense of other people. So yeah, I think those kind of attitudes are the exception. And then how can you, so you were, this is a real story. Yeah. Oh yeah. So how can you help that person? Yeah. what, What do we do from here? I'd probably, if I cared to have a relationship with this person, which I didn't, but if I did, I'd probably try to sit him down and say, hey, this isn't a good move. You should probably just go to Home Depot and buy it. You have enough money. I was listening to Ramit and and he said something. It was some people who are very wealthy that were trying to save money. And Ramit made a pretty good point that I didn't think about. These people were talking about trying to save money on tickets for a Broadway show. And they were going to wait like two hours for some booth. And Ramit's like, not only is that a waste of your time, you're going to stand there when you can clearly afford to pay the full price for tickets, but you can afford it. You might be taking away like four tickets from people who don't have the money, who need to buy them from that booth because they can't afford to pay the, the full price. So if you're cheap and frugal like that, you might actually be hurting other people, which is definitely not good. That is, uh, and I, I agree with a lot. It's, it's hard though, because I'm trying to think of specific examples of myself being cheap. And I know when I was younger, I did this all all the time, maybe buying like inferior products to save some money, but in the long run, it's actually more expensive because you have to buy more of them to replace the inferior product. So it's okay if you don't have an example, but are there times when you were like, oh, I was cheap when I did that thing? Oh, I think I was, uh, I have been cheap many times, but only to the detriment of myself and my own time, I didn't, it didn't really... I'm trying to think of an example when it could have compromised someone else or made their life less joyous. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm sure there are examples, but I can't think of any at the moment. I know one that I still do, and part of it is just, you know, like our upbringing or something like that. I think you you might fall into this category too. So you and I, we don't eat out too often, but occasionally we do what? Like maybe every two weeks or something you eat out? Yeah. Something like that. And when I'm looking at a menu, I will still like get the cheaper thing, even though it's like a dollar or two, which we're both at a point where like that is not really going to make a difference. So if we want to get like the extra topping on the pizza, like it's okay. Like you can get the extra topping or like get the guac on the burrito if you want it. That's a hard one. It's really tough because I just, I buy a lot of avocados. And now the price has come back down. So you can get five of them here at Sam's for like four forty eight is what I paid yesterday. And it's like, shit, if you try to buy like, if you get like just a lit, like a spoonful, fucking two tablespoons on your burrito, it's like three forty nine or whatever, right? And it's really hard for me to like get the guac on there. In fact, we bought a burrito and uh, we brought it home and I had guac here and I'm like, all right, we can put all the homemade guac on there. So, I don't know. It works out okay. Am I part of the problem? <laughs> I, I don't think you're part of the problem because the only one you're hurting is yourself there. Yeah. But I, the guac was really good and I like making it. So, I mean, I justify it to myself however I have to. 
Yeah. It's kind of silly. I, so one thing that's kind of related to that is like we're booking a hotel and I always look at the overall price, which I think is the wrong way to do it. We're going to Hawaii and like for half the time, our friends invited us to to stay with us. So that part's going to be completely free as far as lodging. But then I was looking at other hotels and there, Hawaii's gotten very expensive, man. And, uh, so I was looking at one place, it was like 400 bucks a night. I was kind of freaking out, but that's not how you should look at it. You should look at that, that I'm paying 50 bucks or a hundred dollars more than a, a lesser hotel that might cost us a lot of time because it's not near the beach and that's where we, we want to be. And so it's not, you shouldn't analyze the overall cost. You should analyze the delta in the cost of what the cheaper thing would have been because it makes the decision a lot easier, I think, to go ahead and spend the additional amount of money. And I think actually that'll bring us to questions two and three, kind of like you have to have like a different mindset when you're in the accumulation phase than now you're past the accumulation phase. Maybe you've saved for too long and you haven't decumulated at all. And now you have to use like different decision points. So you're like, oh, use the Delta and you're spending whatever. I don't know how long you're staying, but it's, it'll be like fifteen, sixteen hundred $1,600 or something for a few days. And then if you were earlier in your career, like you have to use a completely different context and framing about how you're spending, right? Yeah, that switch is very hard to flip too. Again, I listened to Ramit, Ramit about that and he said your prime spending years are 40 to 60. And he didn't elaborate too much on that, but I think it's for the reasons you just said. You're in the accumulation phase and then all of a sudden, I think especially in this community, a lot of us find that we oversaved and we could have let it rip a little bit while we were younger. But yeah, it's difficult to flip that switch if we've been staying at the Motel 6 or camping and then, hey, we're going to go to Hawaii and spend a lot of money on the trip. How how do you flip that switch? It's not, I, I think it took me years to overcome and I've been able to do it recently, but that could be a probably a whole episode in itself. Yeah. And I think it ties into Die With Zero, which we've referenced on several episodes, which we'll have to do. I think we're going to try to get a celebrity friend to join us whenever we talk about that. But really- that book made a big impact on me. Yeah, agreed. So. I'm halfway through it and it's uh, it's eye-opening. Okay. Anything else before I give my first one here? No, go for it, Doug. I, I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but I noted it as sort of a dogmatic approach. So I feel like this is a very simplified way for me to say it, but people read one blog, maybe they read the whole thing. And specifically, often it's Pete's blog, right? Great blog, Pete's yep. wonderful, like- Love is writing, very entertaining, very informative, but people adopt the philosophy and they kind of run with it with no um, no analysis of context and they just kind of apply it dogmatically and it comes off, I would say, abrasive sometimes. So I I don't know if I conveyed that properly. Do you know? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I do because I did the exact same thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, I, and I think it's apparent that, I mean, people are often, it, they're just excited about it. So, it often comes out, I mean, I don't think they do it all the time, but it comes out sometimes when we do have a meetup and it's someone who's really enthusiastic, maybe they're kind of early on their fire journey and it comes off a little judgmental sometimes. And it can be 
like I said, a little abrasive and it can turn other people off, right? That maybe are on the periphery of the community. And they're like, ah, those people, it seems like a cult. It's very dogmatic, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, really, it, any any movement that has like a dogmatic component can have that, re- people have that reaction towards it, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably a thoughtless embrace of whatever you're trying to do. And I think it's probably equal to people who just like crazy spenders who buy some thing and don't put a lot of thought into it. It's equally as I don't know what the word is. I wouldn't say bad, but it's equally as thoughtless just on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. So you said you were one of those people. Can you expand on that a little bit? And I, I imagine it was like early days, right? Like the first two years or something. Yeah. I discovered Pete's blog. I didn't really like my job. So I'm like, wow, here is a template. I can spend a lot less money, uh, maybe take on some projects to increase my income, like working on houses. And just embrace that full throttle without considering what it might do to your life. And also uh, thinking others are going to be as enthusiastic as you about the whole thing and uh, <laughs> shoving it down their throats as well. When, uh, the, the student wasn't ready to learn and that student might never be interested in your message. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it was just thoughtless action. I saw something and super enthusiastic about it and didn't adapt it to my own person and also didn't consider that other people might not like might not be like me and night might not be quite as enthusiastic or understand what the hell I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people usually, from what I could tell, they move past that time frame in that sort of behavior, especially when they go to events and meet other people or like a campfire, especially somewhere in a campfire t-shirt. You have like a whole weekend, it's a retreat, and you get to have like deeper, nuanced conversations. So like, even if it, someone comes off dogmatic early, um, when you have more conversations, like they see there's other context, there's other things going on, other things in play, and everything is a lot more nuanced then. So I think like more conversations help help that. And I could be off to maybe maybe no one else cares about that. But yeah, I think people move past it. Yeah. I, I might say the opposite. Like a lot of the camp FIs, you get a lot of people together who are all thinking the exact same way and that might contribute to the problem because we're all encouraging each other and we're all super enthusiastic about the thing. But maybe that's an opportunity to uh, talk people back a little bit from the ledge as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is true. Well, and the thing that I see, because I don't, I don't do real estate. I'm not a real estate fan. Great for whoever wants to do it, but not me. But there's a lot of people that do real estate and they're like, oh yeah, you got to have X number of doors and like get the rentals and buy a duplex and all this shit. And it makes you feel like everyone should be doing real estate. And if you're not, then you're missing out, which is just not true. It's just, it's not for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So. And even with real estate like that, isn't for everyone either. Like we do do real estate, but it's mostly passive syndications or very, very small scale where we actually own something. Just because you own a thousand doors doesn't mean everyone else wants to do yeah. that. How's the house project, by the way? You're supposed to be done like tomorrow or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of done now. We have a couple things to wrap up, but uh, we got to landscape it, but I'm going to save that for when the weather's a little bit better. But yeah, that thing is uh, in the books. Not Now I got to finish up my real house, the one we actually live in. <laughs> 
Still working in the kitchen, right? Yeah, kitchen, got a master bath, girls bath. It looks good, though. It looks really good. The kitchen's awesome. So, all right, what's the next one for you? Okay, I'm going to, I've got one on the outline, but this ties in close to Francis's question, so I'm going to skip that. And I added a different one, and the one I added is that work is bad. A lot of fire people are hell-bent on just leaving work, and again, I did the same thing. But I don't think work has to be bad, especially now where I think our relationship has changed with work. We just talked about this on our last recording. I think work was bad when we had to go into an office for 45 hours a week and have a long commute and maybe spend a lot of time with people we didn't like and expect to stay at that place for decades. And God, that's not even us. This is our our parents. But it's changed, right, Doug? Like, we don't have that. A lot of people change jobs frequently. We get to work from home. We get to work remote. Uh, We get to take contract work if we want to. So our coupling with work isn't as tight. And if you really do truly enjoy your job, there's nothing wrong with staying there. Just don't let it interfere with uh, your hopes and dreams if you have them. But I think you can actually have both. What kind of job would you get if you were like, all right, I think I want to I want to put in like 10, 20 hours a week. What kind of gigs would you look for? Had at this point in life, we don't. I've got two answers to that. I did enjoy the software thing, but that would require some overhead. I'd have to rent myself back up and probably learn something more modern. But maybe if it was like a friend, like a cool project that I could do it completely on my own terms, I would do that. But I'm trying to think. I just had an idea the other day of something, and now I don't remember what it is. Maybe uh, start a podcast. No, for doing that. Run a co-working space. I don't know. It would be fun to... I think it'd kind of be more fun to be an advisor on some real cool project. Like I, we just met someone at an HQ event who wants to start her own brewery. And uh, I can tell she's got pretty good taste in beer. I haven't tasted any of her own stuff yet, but how cool would it be to put some money behind her to help fund it? Because she's got the knowledge uh, and I've got the money so we could s- spend the money. Maybe I could do part of the real estate thing, maybe help a little bit with the build out. But just help this person along, and then we both benefit. She's going to be working at it a lot more than I am, but maybe I get to reap the benefits of growing this cool thing in our city. But I'm trying to think. I don't think that's a great answer to your question. I'm trying to think of something I would just sign on to do like like 10 hours a, a week or something like that. And I'm calling your BS, man. I don't think. Yeah. So some people like their job. So I, I was picturing this. By the way, um, I, I didn't meet whoever you're talking about, so I'm a beer judge and everything, so I should meet the person. Yeah, we should meet her and uh, have some of her beers. I, I think maybe you did meet her. Maybe you just didn't know this part about her, but yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Anyway, so I was thinking about this because uh, the, the specifics don't matter, but basically there was uh, someone was like moving up the ranks at their company, right? And it's good, right? The person is getting opportunity. They're getting promoted, blah, blah, blah. They're taking on more responsibility. And I was imagining myself in that position. Like I know early in my career, I don't know if yours was the same or actually through the whole career, you have your performance reviews and you're hoping to get promoted. And they're like, don't you want to take on more responsibility? Don't you want to do more, do more? And now I imagine that kind of conversation I would be like, fuck no. Are you bananas? I don't want to get paid like incrementally more for like twice as much work. Are you bananas? So I am imagining like 
the kind of job that I was doing. And I'm like, that would not work anymore. Now, what you're saying is like, maybe I would have a, I would get a job as like a podcast executive producer or something, something that I do enjoy doing now. Like that makes sense. But I was just trying to flip, flip back to a few years ago, the conversations, especially the performance reviews, that would be a joke now, now that I know more than I did. And I'm way more confident in the, you know, professionally, I think. So I would just, it wouldn't work. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I do have. So two things. I actually thought of a job I would like to do, but yeah, all those conversations in corporate America, I never liked, even when I did it, they'd be like, ah, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? And the answer in my head was uh, just exactly what I'm doing now. I I like to code. I never want to manage people. That sounds horrible. I never want to grow because that I don't get to code and that's what I like to do. So I would just like to do this, maybe code different things, but I don't have any desire to do anything else. And that's not the answer I would ever tell anyone because I would tell them what I thought they wanted to hear. But so, so Doug, the job I think I would like to do is I would like to do something where people are happy to be paying for what you do. And, and the one that came to mind would be to be like some kind of tour guide, like give tours of Logmont, maybe even free where they give you the donation model. We did this in Germany where some guy gives a free tour and then you can donate money because the people want to be there. They're happy. You can interact with people, which I never would have said I would have liked a couple of years ago, but now I'm different. So I, I think that'd be fun. Um, maybe make up some stuff about Longmont. No, no, <laughs> it would be a truthful tour if I, if I ever do this. I, I don't know what kind of, um, I bet some guy at Camp Fi who was an engineer and he got like a master's degree, pretty high-end guy. And, and he quit to work at Disney for minimum wage. And I think that might be kind of the same reason. He just he likes Disney and he likes interacting with happy people. I don't, mm-hmm. I would not take it to that extent. Okay. But I think it'd be fun to be at a place where people are actually happy. Yeah, maybe at yeah. a brewery or something like that too. Just yeah. uh, like if you work at Costco, I actually thought that might be kind of fun, but then a certain percentage of people are going to be angry and yeah, then forget that. You could kill them with kindness though, you know, charm them. Yeah. And actually to that point, Working at a national park is great. You know, people are on vacation. There's nature. The people that are going to national parks are into nature. So it's like a good filter. Similar to Disney, I suspect. Um, By the way, this could be unpopular. Do you question when adults are really into Disney? I do. That's weird, right? I was thinking about that because we flew into Orlando on a Sorry, we're probably alienating a certain part of our audience, but tell us why if you think differently on YouTube, leave a comment. But I get off the plane and there's this couple that they had like Mickey Mouse shirts. One of them had like some kind of like goofy pants and they both had the mouse ears on their head and they're not even at fucking Disney World. They're at the airport waiting for their luggage like they were that into it already that they couldn't wait. But yeah, I've always thought that's a strange thing. I mean, my parents took us there as a kid yeah, and I enjoyed it, but I'll probably never go back there yeah i don't know yeah that that could be a pretty polarizing thing too so um but yeah it's odd i think i'm gonna come out i'll take a stand on it it's a little odd so do you hate mickey mouse dog or is that what you're saying now or hate might be too strong of a word you just don't see the appeal that others um yeah i'm I'm mostly indifferent mostly indifferent yeah but i i did have a yeah good friend back in atlanta and he was 
super into Disney. And eventually he like opened like a travel agency, like with uh, like getting people down to Disney and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, he went like, I don't know, a few times a year. And it was, uh, it was odd. He's like, yeah, it's absolutely great. And you know, the food and the other, like he was just going on and on. I mean, and he loved it and it made me think, oh, wow, I should check it out. And then I was like, wait, I don't want to fucking go to Disney. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sure it's great though. People like it. Okay. Doug, what is your next book? <laughs> Lack of nuance. So the details matter a lot and kind of is the next step from the dogmatic approach. And I feel like some people apply the big rules and then don't look at the details. So I I think, again, it, it comes out where if I, I have a couple nice guitars down here. So if I was like, oh yeah, I spent a couple thousand bucks on a guitar, that seems crazy. But I, you know, cut corners elsewhere on things that aren't as important. And I think sometimes people focus in, maybe it is like sort of the cheap versus frugal thing also, where people are just like, if you're spending money that's not required, then you're wasting money. So there's a lot of nuance. And, you know, we were were chatting with someone else earlier today. They may be taking a very expensive trip to New Zealand. It's like a, you know, a dream. They haven't been there before. It's going to be a huge amount of money you know, probably what some, I mean, I'm just making this up, but you could take a big trip that cost as much as some people um, would need to live in a year. Like that's their yearly expenses. I don't think they're going to take one that big, but it's possible. So have you seen this too? Like a lack of nuance where people just apply the rules and they, they're like 4% rule and they don't look back. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty annoying. These things are just uh they shouldn't even be rules because rules implies that it's something very strong that there is not nuance to it. It should be maybe a, a guideline or something like that, some lesser wording or some lesser vernacular around the term or word because, yeah, rule, this is a rule, like you must do it. So, yeah. Yeah. At least we didn't call them commandments. That would have been, oh, man. Yeah. We should come out with that, though. We'll have, that'll be our next episode, though. The five? Ten Commandments. Yeah, of, the Ten Commandments of Phi. I don't know what they would be. I think we can use um, one of those AI image generators and have you as Jesus. I can picture it with your beard and stuff, and you would have a robe on. I'd have to grow it out a little bit, though. Maybe I could stand on top of the HQ. Well, the AI will do it. Okay. Like You don't actually have to grow grow the beard. Okay. Unless you want to. Maybe the AI could generate it too, because that, hey, we didn't come up with this. Chat GPT came up with it. Like, sorry, I mean, but Chat GPT <laughs> knows what's best for you. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay. What, what's next here? Uh, my next one is the media portrayal of fire. And I thought about this recently. Our, our good friend, Steve and Lauren, who've been on the podcast, will put a link in the show notes. Very good people, but they were featured on a prominent site. Did you notice them? Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I think I saw what was it, Market Watch or yeah. something? Yeah. And yeah. And the way, and I don't actually remember uh, exactly what details they went into. Honestly, I don't think I read it. I think I saw the headline and said, ah, there's Steve and Lauren. That's pretty cool. But the way the media portrays most of these fire stories is wrong. And it happened to us many times. Like, meet the couple who 
retired in four years on a million bucks. Like for one thing, it took us a lot longer. You're just saying that because it sounds like, oh, you're able to accumulate a million bucks in four years. Like, no, it was like 20 years. But they paint these pictures that are either false like that one about myself or that are just uh, unrealistic and not replicatable by most people. Uh, some other friends, they were like living in a van on the beach somewhere. And these beautiful pictures are, are on the the front page of whatever media outlet this is, but that just makes people angry because they can't attain it. Uh, these articles don't go into all the hard work that these people did to accomplish these things. So I don't like the way the media portrays fire because I think it it's more toxic than anything. It do, it probably inspires some people, but I would say it probably turns more people off. Like, what what do you think, Doug? Do you think those are inspirational or do you think they piss people off? Right. So before I answer that, I want to pose a question for you, if you could think of one by the time we finish the episode. So can you come up with a good headline for me and Elizabeth, maybe? Like what our uh, clickbait headline would be? Oh, I, I will come up with okay. one. So I think you're 100% right. It turns off just as many people. And I've seen this specifically with um, Stephen and Lauren. They had some other big story. It could have been CNBC. I can't remember. They've been featured a lot of places. But if you look at the comments, it's just like, you know, just bullshit comments after. I mean, there's dozens of them, right? It's like they had rich parents, they live in a van, like all these assumptions. Like people don't read the article either. <laughs> they yep. like just see the headline, see the picture, scroll through, leave some angry comments. So there are a lot of people that, I mean, they just, they're reacting quickly, which is how inter the internet is with comments just generally. Um, I think though it works well for people that have already been exposed to the idea. So maybe they heard it a couple times already. Maybe they heard an interview with Pete somewhere and they're familiar already and they're using it as a confirmation bias or it's getting into their confirmation bias and they're like, oh, someone can retire early. And then they see the story and they're like, oh, it's true. And then maybe they go look deeper and get the, like we did a two hour interview with Stephen and Lauren. So maybe some people are finding that and then they hear the full story that it was a nine year journey, something like that. Still, they were like, they were pretty young. Yeah. So do you have a, do you have a headline yet or you, you keep thinking it's okay. I, I do. I, so it's more of the picture than the headline. I, I know you two like to go to Airbnbs and I know you like to go to Airbnbs with hot tubs and I know you take Georgie the dog with you. So it would be more of the picture. It would be you and Elizabeth in a hot tub with some drinks, maybe like a, what do they call those? Charcuterie boards? Charcuterie boards. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not sophisticated. So you would have that sitting on the side. You'd both be smiling and Georgie would be like on the step of the hot tub also looking at the camera. And, and then it would have some stupid headline like meet the, meet the Phi couple who lives the hot tub life or some shit like that. <laughs> And then I'll have a stern warning to don't stay in the hot tub too long and definitely don't drink. Oh. Pointing at my scar. And I won't be able to smile all the way until I got my teeth fixed here. All right. They'll be better than ever when they are though. Okay. What's, what's your next one? Okay. And the, the next one, I, I couldn't pick a side here. Now I get upset with too much nuance. So people, people do more and more analysis on the 4% rule. And I've, 
I think one of the recent episodes, I like went off and I was like, fuck the 4% rule, basically. And it's great. It gets you to a place where you have options. But when people are doing analysis and they're like, actually, like 3.1%, I think it's kind of irrelevant. Like it's based on some assumptions. These assumptions are going to change. For example, your expenses are almost 100% going to change. Other external factors are going to come into play, like inflation, market um, ups and downs, probably a couple other things too. And, you know, you got to plan ahead for the next, like the short term horizon, you know, five years, you may need to pay a little more attention to a couple of those things, right? But in 30 years, right, do you have any idea what your expenses are going to be like? Nope. I mean, it's dependent on inflation. And a number of other factors, but it's dependent on a lot of things that we have no clue on. Like you can't even predict a couple years out what inflation is going to be. Like, would you have any guess right now what it could be? Yeah, no, absolutely (laughs) no clue. Who knew this would happen now? So when you do those deep analyses based on these assumptions, I think it just gives you a false sense of security. And you're like, oh, 3.1% is even better when if you look at, you know, maybe a a different framing than 4.1 or 5 is maybe more accurate or better, at least like at this point in time. So I think when people focus in too much, especially on the spreadsheets, you're they're putting too much credit in those assumptions that are, let's say they're 80% accurate. When you start multiplying the 80% on 80%, like you end up pretty far away after a couple compoundings of those assumptions. Yeah. So what's it specifically, I want to dive into this a little bit more. Is it that people are too focused on these rules or maybe people definitely have a negativity bias around the rules too. If they can, they'll err to something Hmm. safer. Um, Which part of it do you not like? I think, yeah, I think, I don't know if I had to pick, I I don't like either of them, but I think the one where there's too much adherence to the rules without taking the rule and then customizing it for your lifestyle. So you may actually have more insight. Maybe some people do know to a higher degree what their expenses are going to be in 30 years for some reason. I I don't know why. Maybe they, they know their housing costs are going to be something because they know where they're going to live. And like, we don't even know where we're going to live in like, say, 10 or 15 years. We may not live in Longmont, right? I mean, we probably will, but we might not. So that would change everything. So yeah, I think not looking at a rule and then applying it to themselves properly. So I don't know. Yeah. I, the lack of confidence and lack of, lack of optimism annoys me too. Like a lot of fire stuff is based on optimism. You're you're taking a gamble that the economies of the world are going to continue to grow. Uh, the S&P 500 is going to continue to grow. VTSAX continues to grow. So you're counting on that. But then you're living in fear and trying to get down to these super tight numbers. And you also have no confidence that if the shit really did hit the fan that you can't figure something out. And right the ship. I, I was talking to Pete one time, Mr. Money Mustache, and he's like, man, if you save up a million bucks and something truly terrible happens and you lose half, he's like, you still have $500,000. You could do a lot with that if you're smart. You could put yourself through medical school with $500 and make a lot of money after that. So just have a little bit of confidence and 
belief in yourself and you're just, uh, if you don't, you're just screwing yourself because you might stay in a situation for years longer than you had to just because you were debating 4% versus 3.7%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you're a person who actually worked longer than you needed to, right? You stuck around more. Yeah. I, sh- I should have quit a couple of years before I actually did. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, if you could go back, would you stop sooner? Yes, definitely. Okay. At least a year, probably two years ahead. And the thing is, after I made my goal, like I kept on working too. So yeah, there you have it. Did you, so you had the goal where you, at some point were you like, uh, I'm just going to put a date or uh, why, why did you keep working? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I can even give an answer. It just seemed like such a big uh, life upheaval. I guess I was uncomfortable with it. It wasn't really even about money, I guess. It was just about you keep doing what you feel comfortable doing and you don't want to disrupt your life. Um, that's probably a crappy answer, but yeah, I, yeah. at that point I was working remote, so I was removed from my coworkers emotionally. Still great people, got along with them, but it's not like you're going into the office and having lunch with them every day. Yeah. So yeah, that's a difficult question. Why the hell did I stay? Who knows? Fear, I guess. Unknown. Yeah. And inertia too is just like things were fine. You were yeah. working from home, so it probably didn't, it wasn't as bad as it was before. Yeah, it's hard to give up the money. Like even now I find myself, oh, I can put ads on the blog, make a little bit more money. But why? You don't really need to do that. Yeah. How are you going to move past that? Because I'm, I'm in the same way, right? Like I'm like, oh, should I do this little thing where I can earn a little bit of money? Um, do you, because you enjoy earning money, right? Yeah, I think money's great. Uh, I still enjoy the challenge of it. I don't think there's anything actually wrong with that. And I don't think, I don't think that's the problem, Doug. I don't think... Earning money is the problem as long as you're not compromising yourself to do it or uh, taking away experiences from yourself. Like I like to write, I would do that even if I didn't have ads on the blog. So I see nothing wrong with having ads on there and making a little bit of money as a side effect. I think the bigger problem is not getting comfortable with spending the money. And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit with Francis. And this is something like very recently I've come around to doing. Uh, we had the episode where I just bought a private concert for 10,000 bucks, which is one of the biggest things I've ever spent in my life. It is besides a uh, car or a house, like yeah. a single biggest expense. So I've come around to that. We can talk a little bit more about that, maybe a separate episode. Cool. But I think that's the main problem, getting people to actually let go of their money once they have it. All right. Well, yeah. And any others that you want to call out here before we hit the questions? I see we're- we're talking about ourselves a lot here. Yeah, one really quick, and this might be kind of related to you, Doug, but it annoys me when fire people sell stuff or do things that I think are are disingenuous. And I'm thinking about two things. The first one is kind of falling off the radar a little bit, but fire people used to do these income reports where they would talk about how much income their blog made. And a lot of their blog income was from selling fire related stuff, like selling some course about how to navigate an advertising network or an affiliate network or even selling a course. I know some people do this now and I think they can't have value, but I think it's disingenuous to say you're fire and then selling a course on fire to people who want to aspire to be fired. Mm. I saw a couple ass clowns. They had a podcast and they were like, hey, donate money to us. These guys must be real pricks. Yeah. So, yeah. And for... 
for reference, I have courses. It's not about fire, but I think some of these go hand in hand. So my courses are on earning money online, which is this kind of a weird area of the internet, make money online. But a lot of the fire people, I think, that you're talking about, like they have courses and typically it's not like how to how to be, be fire, right? Usually it's like some kind of side hustle thing, right? Yeah, I, I guess the how to be fire might be a little bit less. That's not my issue. It's, um, yeah, some of the other ones, like here's how, it, it's about how to get ads going on your blog or how to start a blog or maybe the how to start a blog isn't that bad. But when it all goes back to money, are you really yeah. a fire or are you just blogging yeah. to make money? Okay. And then let me take it a step further here. And by the way, Carl and I talked about what was going to happen here. So what about, what if it's a course on real estate? Uh, I think if you saw, I I guess the question, if someone said, I really want to do this course on real estate, I I would say, well, are you going to genuinely enjoy doing that? And if they said yes, I would say, well, would you be doing it if you had like a hundred million bucks? Would you, do you enjoy it enough that you would do it for free? Because at that point, any money you make from that isn't going to move the needle anymore. So that would be kind of my litmus test. And and maybe my litmus test to you, Doug, would you, if you had like infinite wealth, would you still be messing with these online endeavors? No, no, I, I would maybe do, I would maybe do some podcast in YouTube just because it's kind of fun. Yeah. Like certain portions of it. But the course part is like responsibility. Like people are getting a product, you have to support them and that sort of thing. So I think I, I have somewhat, uh, did I, or did you have any more? Um, yeah. Um, With that? No, I don't think so. Yours is a little bit separate because you're doing something completely different. I, I hear you have an OnlyFans course coming up, which I'll totally buy. I'd like to learn more about how to do that, but. You're in it. You're in, you're in it a lot. Wow. Okay. And now I know why you wanted to take those strange pictures. Okay. So I think similar to the make money online area, I see how this could be like a conflict of interest. So if people are like, hey, I'm, I'm retired, but I'm also making money from courses and that is how I retired, like I can see how some people would have an issue with it. But I think being an entrepreneur where you teach people and you have online courses is valid. And it's like an information product where people can learn. And I, I think maybe offline, you, you mentioned like sometimes like people don't even do anything with the courses, they just buy them. And the, the creator of the course is just selling the dream. And I think you had kind of an issue with that, right? Yeah. And they use income reports to sell it as well. People see their income and then that becomes uh what, like a self-fulfilling thing. Oh my God, they made all this money. I should buy their course. But the reason they're making the money is because you bought the course. Right. So the issue that I often have is like with the make money online areas, like people start teaching before they know what they're doing. So they're like teaching something that they don't know how to do themselves. So the output is going to be pretty bad and usually people can't get much value from a course like that. Um, And I think... I'm okay with people having courses because I could think of like um, Cody Berman. He has a course. He has a couple of courses, right? Yep. I don't have an issue with that. Um, Rachel Richards, she has a mastermind in a course. I don't have an issue. Hers is on real estate. Um, And there's probably dozens that we can come up with. And I'm like, ah, they're doing good. 
they developed expertise in an area and they decided they wanted to teach about it. And I think that's okay. So do you have an issue with Cody and Rachel? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. As a matter of fact, yes. No. Yeah. If they could genuinely provide value, I know those two really know what they're doing. Uh, some people are going to buy their course and uh, I've never taken the course, so I can't comment on them. But I think those two, you'd probably get value from the course. Uh, so if you're actually helping people out, I think that's okay. Yeah. And I think I know, I know that it can be weird if people are like, hey, I, I retired because I did this stuff where I, I sold courses. That could be weird, but I think it's valid. And if the tough part is with online courses, there's a very small number of people that actually go through and do the work. The people that do usually do get value from it, but it's a very small number. So it's kind of, I mean, it's like, I don't know, 10 or 15%. It's super low. It's weird. But I can see it in my analytics. People just don't do the work. Yeah. So I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Well, it's on them. Yeah. So uh, did I convince you at all? I mean, I wasn't trying to convince you, but- do you have other perspective of it now? Uh, oh, no, I, I think a course and all that kind of stuff is okay if there's some separation, but you, sh- uh, which I think you do have, but you shouldn't be talking about fire if you aren't actually fired and you just have a bunch of, uh, uh, there's nuance to it. There has to be separation. Yeah. Or you mean you could not, you should not have hit fire because you're, you have cash flow from an online business? Yeah. And you shouldn't. Use that to try to sell stuff too, like these income reports. I don't know if many people are doing them. They're super popular for a while, but people do these blog income reports and then that just generates more money and it's, uh, I think it's not um, truthful. I just had, we'll move on in a second here. I'm sure we're losing people here. I think I just identified something. So you, you mentioned a specific person who I won't reference here. That person was selling courses on blogging and the thing is, there's a difference. Like you said, there's a distinction between your fire and you had a job and then you retired versus people that want to start a blog or do something online. So those are two different parties. So the person that you were mentioning, they had courses that were teaching how to blog and they were like, here's our in- income report. We're crushing. We're making like 100K a month or something crazy, right? Yeah. But they weren't necessarily saying like, here's how you could be fired. They were like, here's how you start a blog. Yeah. And using their income reports to like their whole income reports were because they were selling these products. So people would buy these products because they would see the income reports and then the income reports go up because more people buy the products. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe their course was great. Who knows? But it just didn't. um, And out of, you can blog about whatever you want. You should just represent yourself clearly and honestly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the big irony, I bought a course on courses, right? Like, that's weird, but it was really helpful. And it was how I learned how to put together a course that was effective. And that's super weird, right? So it's like, oh, this person's making like a million bucks a year selling courses. The course is on how to make courses. Yeah. I mean, I I never did that. That's kind of weird, a little (laughs) recursive, but. Okay, ready to move on? Thanks yeah, for let, indulging. Yeah, let's move on. Let's get to Kristen. Uh, so question, Kristen had four bullet points too. The first one is uh, she wants to discuss the myth how $40,000 a year, uh, how people say you can live off $40,000 a year, which Kristen does not believe is possible. What, what do you think about that, Doug? 
I think it makes the math really easy. So people can apply the 4% rule and just say a million dollars. I I think I agree generally, and it depends. I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? Is it a family of four? Is it an individual? What city do you live in? I think people use 40,000 often because it makes the math easy. Yeah, I'm going to throw in one other thing there. I think it could work with everything you said if you're in Iowa, not New York City, but also if you have your house paid off. I've seen people blog, oh, I live on this amount. Oh, and by the way, I've got my house and cars paid off. That makes a big difference. You've eliminated the two biggest biggest expenses. So I think you can do this, but you're actually living on like $80,000 a year. You've just, you don't have to come up with the other 40,000 because all that stuff is paid off. Right. And I think, I mean, to your point, yeah, if you have the house paid off, but like very few people do that or very few people are like, I'm going to be able to do that in 10 years or whatever. Yep. It's pretty rare. Was that on your horizon? Like it, like pretty early on? Uh, to pay off a house? Or? Yeah. No, I, I like, well, it was when I first discovered fire, but then I quickly realized I didn't think it would be a good financial decision if you want to really maximize the amount of money you'll have and you're just using leverage. Uh, I'm really glad I didn't pay it off now. It's like under 3% and like I can get f- over like 5% on a CD or some of these online yeah. bank accounts. So, man, I know this is a big point of contention in the fire community and despite this, People will say they're still happy they paid off their house, but I'm I'm really thrilled I did not. All right. And Kristen has a few more. So one of them was around, basically we see headlines where it's like taking free trips because of credit card rewards and all that stuff or like credit card churning. Have you you gotten into that much? Oh, totally. I I never pay for hotels except for the one in Hawaii. Okay. So that, that one's not so bad. Have you done the churning? Though, um, you mean signing up and getting new ones? Oh yeah, all the I, time. I, I do that all the time too. Okay, so Kristen is like, there's a lot of overhead related to that. Did you find it tough to manage any of that stuff? Um, I think she has a point there. You can't lose track of it if you don't cancel by the time that date comes up. Like I've got a card that has a four hundred dollar annual fee, and I'll probably keep it. But if I didn't want to, I better not forget about. That annual date or also I'm going to be, and some of them are kind of, they give you like a little bit of a grace period, but if you forget about that, you're going to be stuck with that fee. And if you just signed up to get their initial bonus and that was your intention, you better put a notification on your calendar. And yeah, so uh, I'm pretty good about that, but I could see where people get lost. Yeah. And we haven't done too much. Um, we go with Chase typically, and I think maybe every few years I may you know, check out a different credit card, but yeah, we never got into it. I just don't enjoy that kind of admin. It sucks. Yeah, there is overhead. I don't know why getting a free hotel room brings me so much joy or getting like pre-check for free, but it does. Uh, it, I think the other issue Kristen had was a lot of bloggers, and this kind of goes back to what I'm saying, make a lot of money from this as well. There's big money for credit card affiliate programs. Sign up using our affiliate link. No, just kidding. Okay. This one, actually, you'll be able to talk about a little bit more. So Kristen mentions like just how people seem to think if you just talk to teenagers, they're just going to understand how to save and really adopt, you know, sort of the fire mindset. So what what have you found? (laughs) Yeah. God, people ask me about this all the time. And I think she's exactly right. You might be able to talk to everyone's different. You're just not, you can't say, hey, if you save, here's compound interest. 
you'll be rich by the time you're 30, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's different. What resonates with one person is not going to resonate with another. Like we have two kids close in age, both girls, and they both couldn't be more different. Like I think the message is resonating with them, but how you get that and how you make them understand that is completely different. And yeah, it's just human nature. Uh, I, I think I was, I had the mindset to adopt fire when I found out about it, but other people I know, I tell them about it, which I shouldn't do, but they hear it and they tell me that sounds like the worst thing ever and they react the opposite way. Uh, there's not a boiler, boilerplate answer to getting your kids on board. But with that said, I don't think you shouldn't try. I think you should make kids work for their money. Uh, you should teach them the, the value. You shouldn't hand stuff out. Teach them the value of working hard is what I meant mm -hmm. to say. So you still should do these things. It's not like those things aren't worthwhile, but just because you do that doesn't mean it's going to stick. Maybe a Disney film could get them on board. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to Jolene and Darren's question or comment here. There's a lack of information available on how to unwind tactically and mentally from accumulation and shift into decumulation. So, Carl, you're a little further along on the process um, than I am. So, how have you dealt with that journey? Uh, I've dealt with it by forcing myself to be uncomfortable. I bought that expensive concert, which wasn't, uh, it, it was hard to pull the trigger on that, but once I did, it felt better. But I don't know. That's a great question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for this, Doug. I think it all comes down to happiness. And if you think a th thing is really going to make you happy and you have the means to do it, you should go ahead and do it. You shouldn't die. We reference the Die With Zero book. You shouldn't die with tons of money because I think you might regret not doing something, especially if it's a truly unique experience or it's something that has a certain period of time to take advantage of it. Like if you're going to hike the Appalachian Trail, you might not be able to do that after you're 60 because your health is in rapid decline. So, uh, but it is, it is difficult. I'm not, I don't have a good answer to you, Doug. No. And, and I think the, the toughest part is probably because you don't know if you're going to run out of money, right? That's the fear. If you had an unlimited amount or you had like some sort of insurance that made you feel really secure, then you would probably happily spend, but like, we don't want to run out or end up in a situation where we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So I, I have no answer. I don't know. Actually, I just thought on one thing real quick, and this is uh, kind of relates back to our, some of these trips we're taking. One thing that has helped me is realizing that your time is super valuable, especially when you're on like a trip is an, is an extreme situation. So we'll be in New York City soon for a short amount of time. So we could get some cheap thing like, I don't know, in some obscure place. And then we're going to have to be on the subway every day for a couple hours getting there and back. Or we could get a place right in the center of everything, pay a little bit more, but then we can step outside and walk. My time is worth more than the money I have to spend to have that luxury at this point in time. And same thing with our Hawaii trip. We're not going to have something in the middle of the island, which might be a lot cheaper. We're going to be near a beach, hopefully that we can walk to. So we don't have to spend time in a car. Our time is limited. And if you blow that out, that really applies to your whole life. It just doesn't seem that way because uh, I'll be in Hawaii for a week in New York for less than that, but still many years left to live, hopefully. But I think that's kind of how you have to think about it. You have to really value your time over money. And once you realize that, I think it makes spending a little easier. Mm -hmm. It is tough. You know, you spend all those years 
decades accumulating. It's hard to downshift. Yeah. All right. What's this one from Francis? Uh, Francis talks about, and this one is near and dear to my heart, discuss the focus, how spending is bad and the potential negatives of this mindset. And you see, yeah, you see this in the community, judgmental people, like someone might be in the community, but something expensive that might be out of the ordinary is important to him. Like I saw one guy who liked to take cars on racetracks. So he had his own custom car that was just devoted to that. He was frugal with everything else, but you see on forums, this happens online. Like online is never a good place to argue about this, but people judging people for similar decisions. And I don't think they should, as long as that decision was mindful, thoughtful, and you realize what opportunity costs you're giving up that money. Who are you to judge what this other person is doing? Do you have uh, something like that? I guess you just bought the big concert, but is there something more frequent where you're like, I'm going to indulge in this and I always will indulge in it? Um, maybe, uh, I guess, the travel stuff now, which is a little little bit more frequent. I'm trying to think of something in day-to-day life and uh, mm-hmm. I probably don't have a lot of good examples. We have a, a luxurious house that we live in. Uh, we spend most of our time there. So I think that's, I don't regret spending money on something like that. We could live in a cheaper part of town, but we don't. Mm. And uh, I don't know, maybe an occasional meal out. Yeah. I think for me, food, happy to spend at the store. I usually will, I mean, I'll I'll look at the uh, cost per ounce or cost per unit like we've talked about before. But typically if I'm like, oh, I really want a good steak, like I'll get as good as I can get, you know, like that's worth it. And it's so much cheaper than eating out typically. So food, I will often splurge. I love it. Yeah. Food. I mean, you can eat really healthy too. Once you learn how to cook and make savory stuff. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're cooking at home, you shouldn't think twice about spending money on that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. You have been taking a ton of trips in the last couple of years. I mean, I guess when we first met, it was kind of pandemic time frame. but yeah, you, you have been traveling more. Is this more than you were before? Yeah, a, a lot more. And I think it's uh, maybe that our girls are older and they can appreciate the experiences more. Like we did go to Hawaii once when they were like three and one or maybe they're four and two, but neither of them mm-hmm. have. The younger one has no recollection. The older one has like, she remembers scattered stuff. But now we can go to Germany and they'll actually remember it. They, one great thing was uh, we went there and then now they're learning about the Berlin Wall at school. So they're like, oh, wow, we just like saw that in person and it's so reinforcing. And it, yeah, it, the experience is a lot better for them. So we'll probably dial it back or change it after our kids are out of the house, more long format travel. I don't like the short format travel that much, but that's all we can do with kids and activities and schools and all that. But well, post kids, I see us going on like long road trips or like month long stays in mm-hmm. different parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. This we're we're probably going to do one of those slow travel is way better. It's a little, it's just a different pace, and you don't have to be in a rush. Yeah, I I don't even like calling it travel. I think I don't like that word. I think it should be I don't know what word, but just living in a different place for a short amount of time. Like I I don't know. I'll come up with something. Relocating. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you have any comments out there, please shoot us an email. Carl at MileHiFi dot com or Doug my high five or if you're watching on YouTube you could just leave a comment Carl anything else I think that's all Doug uh, thank you you're welcome
Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. So, Carl, did you work out today? I did. I did my back and chest exercise. So I went to the gym and I did pull-ups and push-ups. And one interesting thing, Doug, we were actually talking about the gym because there's a chance you will join the same gym as me, which is the local rec center, which is a pretty good facility. But the one issue is there are a lot of people there. And I, I think part of it are New Year's resolutionists. I just made up that word. And the other part might be that... uh Longmont's grown a lot. There's lots of new apartments and lots of people moving here. So I think they've actually outgrown the facility. But today, I don't know what was going on. There was like no one there. It was glorious. That is one of the downsides. Yeah. So one of, um, I think, I can't remember the last time we, we chatted, but my hookup for the apartments that I go into, I mean, I don't sneak in, but I'm not, I don't live there, you know? I used to live there and I was friendly with the staff. So they let me in the general manager. She's going to be moving on to another gig. So I'm not really sure. And she was like, Hey, I don't know. Like you may be able to get in or whatever, but I just wanted to let you know. So I'll probably just play it cool and keep trying. I mean, it's a good spot, but the thing is the rec center is so good. Um, the main thing that I want is uh, the sauna and we potentially were going to get a sauna and, and put it in here, down here in the basement, which would be fine. But a couple downsides, like you have to heat it up, right? So like, we're not going to use it constantly, but we're not going to leave it on all the time. So you would have to like preheat it where if I go to the sauna at the rec center, it's just hot, you know, you could just go and show up. So anyway, there's some pros and cons, but I may be going to that gym. Have you identified the best times to work out? Yeah, actually I have. And that's what surprised me about today because today's a Tuesday and usually Mondays and Tuesdays. And for some reason, Fridays are a disaster, especially in the morning. So you either have to hit it midweek or in the afternoons. I think lots of people work out, especially earlier. You get a lot of seniors there earlier and the seniors are great. They don't cause you any trouble, but it's just more people. If you're on a track, you're trying to dodge people and you feel like you're in a video game or something like that. But yeah, midweek or in the afternoons. Okay. It, 
yeah, that would be that would be the thing. Like you just got to figure out exactly when it's not too bad. Luckily, it is so close. It's probably 150 yards, like as the crow flies. But I mean, it would take me five minutes to walk over there, yeah. something like that. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that track gets really crowded, man. One real quick thought, dog. I've been investigating steam steam showers. Do you know what that is? Yeah. I've seen, I think a buddy had one. Yeah. Tell, tell us what it is. Though. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a sauna. You make a shower, but you kind of enclose it. So it's airtight. And then you've got this machine in there that generates a bunch of hot steam. So it's kind of similar to a sauna. If you ever finish off your basement, which is where we're sitting now, you could put one of those. And I'm thinking about doing one for my own master bathroom model, which I'm about to finish. Okay. And I, as I was looking at saunas, I was looking at like, you know, an infrared sauna, you know, they're like a few thousand bucks. Right. But as I was browsing, I saw this is online. Right. So as I Googled it, there are some that are essentially just like some insulation with a heating element. And it's, uh, I mean, it's $200. Right. And I was like, Oh, I could just make that and get, you know, like an oven heating element and then get the foam, you know, two inch thick insulation, put some framing around it. My garage gets like a hundred degrees in the summer anyway, and just like put it in there and make, make myself a little oven. You know, you have to make sure it's safe and all that, but there are some very like bare bones kind of things. Or have you seen the ones where your body's in the, um, basically in like a big trash bag? I mean, there's a heating <laughs> element. You know what I'm talking about? I, I do. Yeah. So we could get one of those too. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Can you like walk around with those? Like, could you walk around the neighborhood wearing your trash bag thing? <laughs> I think with like a long extension cord. <laughs> I mean, it does have to be plugged in. Yeah, I'm thinking of those. Uh, I'm thinking of something else. They've got workout suits, sweatsuits or something like that. That's what I'm thinking about. So oh, yeah. yeah. Disregard. You could, you could wear one of those. I don't know if those work. I think they just make you really hot and sweaty, which I could just put on a bunch of clothes, right? It's like the same thing. <laughs> you could just get some garbage bags, like buy a bunch of hefty, like at the construction grade ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Walk around in that. It's like six mils, like the really <laughs> thick stuff.